Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. I thought I'd like to start off this morning with a little bit of Name That Tune. I don't know if you remember that. There used to be a game show called Name That Tune, and uh, people would bid on, I could name that tune in five notes. I could name that tune in two notes, okay? And uh, whoever could name it in the most notes, least notes correctly won that round, and on and on they won prizes, okay? Well, we don't have prizes this morning, but we're still going to play the game. So I'm going to give you um, like one note. All right, so listen carefully. You're only going to get this one note. See if anybody can name it from this one note. Is that it? Oh, we got two. The theme from Rocky. Yeah, that's the one. Man, you guys are pretty good. You're sharper than the first group, let me tell you. <clears throat> yeah, you're awake. Well, I hope so. It's 11 o'clock, 11.30. You should be. Um, I don't know, if, for those of you who don't know that movie, um, actually a whole series of movies, um, it was about a, an inexperienced boxer uh, named Rocky Balboa, and he got a shot at the prize fight. Uh, a bunch of circumstances. So the whole thing revolved around this prize fight. He's fighting for the championship. And the thing about Rocky Balboa was, no matter how many times he got pummeled, no matter how many times he went down to the canvas, he keep, kept getting up. Like, he would just get pummeled, and his face is all torn up, and he's on the floor, and he's getting up, and he's climbing up the rope, and he's back up again. And it was like, Rocky too came along, and he kept getting pounded down, and he kept getting backing up, you know, just, and Rocky three and Rocky four and Rocky five and Rocky six. I mean, just like Rocky, the movies, they, you keep putting them down, and they just keep coming back up, you know? <laughs> and I've known people like that, not prize fighters, but people who seem that no matter what comes their way, it doesn't floor them. And if it does, it's only temporary. They, they seem to just keep getting back up that no matter what life throws at them, they keep getting up. It's a word called resilience. The ability to bounce back. And it, I don't know why it is that some people are so devastated when difficulty comes along, but it seems to me there are some people that just have this resilience. And not only do they bounce back, they come back stronger. Because the truth is that every life, every organization for that matter, goes through difficult times. Our nation is going through a difficult time in a lot of areas. And every individual, every organization, every group of people seems to face challenges and, and, and have to overcome setbacks and, and deal with difficulties and disappointments and all of those things. It seems like even Christians, even churches. But there is something that we have been given by God for resilience. Because we're not immune from difficulties. Jesus himself said to us, he said to his followers, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble. I will have trouble. In fact, next month, we're going to do a whole series. We're, we're titling it Insomnia. What keeps you up at night? And we're going to be talking next month about all the kinds of things that, that seem to over, overcome us and just be tough to dif difficult to deal with. This morning, I just want to talk about this one idea of resilience. Because I've had my share of challenges. I've had my share of setbacks and disappointments and discouragements in my own life, in my ministry. And, and even as a church, we have faced those kinds of things. But one of the things that I have found 
and we have found together as a church, is that God is always faithful. And, and if we rely on his faithfulness with our faith, somehow we are stronger because of it. It's something that God does. Now, last week, um, I shared with you some of what I believe God is stirring in my heart for our church as we head into this next season in the life of our church. And, and if you weren't here, because I know it's still August and you know people are getting in last-minute vacations before school started. So if you missed it for some reason, we've got free copies of the CD you can pick up at the resource desk. Please pick it up. Listen to the podcast. I want you to hear what I believe God is stirring in our hearts as a church. Our board and our staff met this weekend in a leadership retreat just praying. And it's just amazing how God is, is forming us and setting a direction for us. And I'm, I'm excited about that. And if you don't know what that is, please pick up that CD. Please listen to the podcast because it's where we are going as a church. And let me tell you, by the way, to get from where we are to where we want to be, to where I believe God wants us to be, to get from where you are right now in your life to where you want to be, it's not going to be an easy road. It never is. But this idea of resilience is the thing that will carry you through. Paul wrote about this. In his second letter to the Corinthian church, he wrote these words. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled for those who are perishing. Because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. And with that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, he says it again, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen 
is eternal. Twice he says it. At the beginning and at the end of the section, he says, we do not lose heart. Why? And he gives all kinds of reasons for it. How to foster, how to cultivate that, that resiliency in your own life as you learn to rely on God. And there's some very, very important things, and there's a lot of them. We don't have a lot of time to spend on all of them. So we're just going to kind of hit on them pretty briefly. But these are absolute essentials. There's more, but we're just going to hit on five this morning. Absolute essentials. And it starts first and foremost with this. No matter what, remember God loves you. No matter what you go through. God loves you. He says, therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. God's love for us, God's love for you, God's love for me is the octane that fuels my life. That he loves me no matter what. He uses a very specific word here. It's mercy. It's not love in theory. It is mercy, which is love in action. Sometimes translated compassion. Literally, the Greek word has this idea of being love expressed in kindness. With the intent to help. That means that God is with me. It's living with the settled conviction that God is with me and loves me. He loves me. He is for me. He is with me to help me today. Today, because Jeremiah, the writer of Lamentations, put it this way, that the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. His mercies begin afresh each morning. This morning. Today. His compassion, his steadfast love is there. And that means no matter what I am going through, no matter how great the challenge you might be facing or I might be facing, no matter what I've done, no matter how I got myself into this mess, God still loves you. God still loves me. And that is important. That is something you've got to latch on to. Because I have people all the time when I talk with them and they're going through stuff and they said, you know, I brought this on myself. How can I expect God to get me out of this? I've made such a mess of things. How in the world can I believe that God really loves me? I am a hopeless case. And I want to tell you, that is not true. Because God's love is always there. His mercies are new every morning. And we are all simply trophies of that love and grace. He put it this way. Because of God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace was not wasted on me. God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, it's extravagant, but it is never a waste. And there needs to be this subtle conviction, and it's absolutely essential for a resilient life, that God loves me completely and constantly, no matter what, because his love is not something that I earn, and therefore it is not something that I can lose. It is his. Remember that God loves you absolutely essential and then with that be willing to accept your limitations because you are not God you have limitations though that's the reality he says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us God has always used ordinary plain Jane everyday flawed frail human beings to do his work he has always done that You go all the way back to Moses 
who God called to lead the nation of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt, called him specifically to go and talk to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and tell him, let my, God says, let my people go. And Moses fought that calling for, just kept fighting it and fighting it and fighting it. He had all kinds of excuses. But God, I can't do that. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just a shepherd guy out here. He said, no, I want you to go and talk to Pharaoh. You want me to go talk to the king? I can't put together a sentence without stuttering. I got a speech impediment. How can I talk me your voice here before the king? I called you to do it. He kept giving excuse after excuse after excuse. The greatest king probably in all of Israel's history, King David, was the youngest and least in his family. When the prophet Samuel was called to anoint the new king, and and he was called to the house of Jesse, and, and he went to Jesse's home, and there were 12 brothers and he started with the oldest, the wisest, the smartest, the best looking. And God said, Samuel, that's not him. So I went to the next one. That's not him. That's the next one. He went all the way down the line to the very, in fact, he got to the end of the line. And he looked and that was it. And he, said, he turned to Jesse and he says, you got any more? <laughs> he said, well, yeah, I got one more. He's out taking care of the sheep. But he's the youngest. He's, he's kind of the runt of the other. He's, 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 no, no, it's, it's got to be one of these guys. No, no, call him. David shows up. God says to Samuel, that's the man. God has always used imperfect, flawed, everyday, plain Jane human beings to do his work because it's not about you and it's not about me. He says, it is so that the, the, the power, all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. He said, we are nothing more than plain, ordinary clay pots. Now, the equivalent of that in today's society is we are brown paper bags. Because that's what it was. That, that, that was. That's how you carried stuff around. It was either in baskets or in clay pots. And they weren't, fired, they weren't fancy, you know, decorated and all painted up nice to sit on the mantelpiece of, your, of your, your fireplace. They were just ordinary clay pots. You go to any excavation and there are all kinds of pot shards everywhere. They're just littered about because they're like brown paper bags. People just crumple up and throw off to the side. They get cracked. They get broken. They just put them away and pick up another one. He says, that's who we are. We're just the brown paper bag because the treasure is not us. It's God. It's Christ in us. And the key to resilience is to know what you can and cannot do. To realize you cannot do everything because you're just the clay pot. But the surpassing power of Christ is within you. So don't let what you cannot do stop you from moving forward and doing something because the power of Christ is within you. And you know that. You know that because everyone, I believe, in this room have experienced moments of that where God's faithfulness came through, where in your own moment of weakness and you didn't know what to say and somebody's asking you for advice and you don't even know where it came from, but you spoke these words and they were just what that person needed to hear because God was speaking through you. And he says, so build on that. In fact, he uses his own experiences. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side. It feels like our li- the life is just being squeezed out of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed. There are times we don't know what the answer is. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. There are times it's just beyond us, and, and we are perplexed about the whole thing, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but never abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We have those experiences. That's that's the reality. 
And faith is not denying reality. Faith is simply facing reality, facing the facts with the refusal to give up. Because the power and the strength is not our own. And that's why it's so important that you build on those experiences, that you learn those lessons and you, you gain those insights for the rest of your life. And that's why we've been doing this whole thing about send us your yay God story. Because we need to remind each other of God's power and how God comes through. And that's why we've been reading them. That's why we say, go to the website and just tell us, God came through for you. Let us know. It might be a job situation. It might, I don't know what it is. It might be a health issue, whatever it is. But God came through. Share it. Over and over in scripture, God has people do things as memory. He says, pile up rocks. Why would you pile up rocks? So that when your children see the pile of rocks and they ask you, why is that pile of rocks there? You tell them, because God was here. God did something here. We need the reminders. Jesus gave us communion. Jesus gave us baptism. Because they're the reminders. Learn from that. You've got the limitations, but learn from the experiences. Here's another one. In all of it, maintain a sense of purpose. Find meaning in the experience. Whatever it is you might be facing right now, find meaning in it. And the way that you do that is by seeing it in a larger context. He goes on, he says, so we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that, and that's what you want to circle, that word so that, because here's the reason, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. We are being given over to death so that his life may be revealed. That, there, that God is birthing something new in you all the time. And often he is using difficult circumstances as a part of that birthing process. Now, I have never given birth to a baby. But I hear it's a little painful. I have, however, passed a kidney stone. And my wife and I had this debate a while back as to which was more painful. Because the doctor said, well, you know, that passing a kidney stone, that's, that's, almost, that's, like a, that's as bad as giving birth to a baby. And my wife just looked at him like he was some kind of idiot. Because <laughs> he was a man, he wouldn't know anyway, you know. So we had this discussion on the whole way home. And we go, well, what's, you know, and we had this whole thing. And I said, here's, here's how I won the argument. Okay? <laughs> Listen, because here it is. Why would any mother who has given birth to a baby going through that much pain ever want to have a second child? Huh? Because, yeah, because, you know, the birthing process, that's painful, but it seems like you always want another one. I don't ever want another kidney stone. Why? What makes the difference? What makes the difference is the outcome. Giving birth to a life. All I got was an ugly old kidney stone. (laughs) What makes the difference is the life that comes out of it. And what Paul is saying is we are being given over to death. We are experiencing the pains of death. That old life is dying and that is painful. So that the life of Christ, this new life, can be given birth in us. 
We are given over to this. There are things that need to die in our life so that this new life in Christ can be birthed. What's given over to death is my self-interest so that a new life of service can be built in. I am given over to the death of thoughtlessness so that caring and compassion can be birthed in me. I am given over to the death of anger and retaliation so that forgiveness and reconciliation can be birthed in me. I am given over to the death of prideful posturing so that a life of honest humility can be birthed. I'm given over to the death of selfishness so that I can live a life of generosity. Given over to the death of my anxiety and my fear so that I can live in confidence and peace. Given over to the death of endless striving so that I can live a life of rest and contentment in Christ. Death is painful. But the birth that comes out of it is incredible. And not only that, not only that, not only is God birthing something in you, but he also now will take those experiences and use them for the sake of other people. Because there's another so that. Verse 15, all this, he says, is for your benefit. So that, circle it again, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So that... Life could be birthed in me. And so that through me, life can be birthed in the people around me. That's what God is doing. So that people can discover that God has a life for them as well. And we are here this morning. We are here this morning because for the last 20 years, there are people who have, who have served tirelessly. And for 20 years have given sacrificially and prayed fervently and shared faithfully so that, so that you and I can come together as a family this morning. People paid a price for that. People continue to pay a price for that. And now it's our turn. So that the grace of God that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow and glory to God. It takes unselfish people. I have said this from day one. It takes unselfish people to grow a church. And make no mistake, God wants his church to grow. He wants his church to grow. Not, it's not about this building. It's not just this group of people. He wants the kingdom of God to be birthed in this world, to take life in this world. He wants his church to grow. And that's the sense of purpose you get from it. And in the middle of all of that, and this is important too, make sure that you take time to care for your soul. In the middle of difficult times, make sure, make sure that you take time to care for your soul. He puts it this way. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Day. Even in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances, the things that took its toll on Paul's life physically and emotionally and everything else, he said, yet, yet I am still being renewed from the inside out. Every stressful situation, it is draining, but there is a renewal process that God can bring about. But you need to take time to care for your soul. 
And what people often do is when they go through time of trouble, they just start trying to work harder, trying to fix it and find the answer themselves harder. And they just wear themselves out more and more and deplete their souls more and more. The most important thing you can do through times of difficulty is replenish your soul. Take care of the inner person because outwardly you might be wasting away, but let him renew you inside day by day. Take time to replenish. And here's why. Because when you're in times of difficulty, you are extremely vulnerable to sin. Because in times of trouble, times of difficulty, times of stress, and you're feeling bad, you want to feel good. And you want to feel good fast. And we are much more vulnerable to the temptations of sin because it offers the quick, easy fix. And so we are that much more vulnerable. So you take the time to nurture your soul. How do you do that? Here's a couple of practical suggestions. One of the things I have found to be very, very helpful is read through the book of Psalms. Because the book of Psalms contains just about every emotion you can imagine. It is an expression. Every one of those Psalms is an expression of some kind of emotion, some kind of inward feeling that they're expressing back to God. And this book of Psalms is huge for that. Give, self, give yourself to replenishing relationship. Find, find safe, godly people who can help carry you through, who will stand with you. You might try journaling, just writing out what is going on and learning the lessons and gaining the insights. And if you're not a journal, then just not a journaler, then just honest times of prayer with God. But give yourself to that. Take care of your soul. And ultimately, and maybe, I don't know if it's the most important, but it certainly is up there. Keep your eyes on the goal. Keep your eyes on the goal. He says, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What kept him going was an eternal perspective that this is not the end. He kept looking eternally. And by the way, if you want to know what his light and momentary troubles are, let me read, because he he enumerates them a little bit later in the letter. In chapter 11, he puts it this way. He says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day on the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea. And I have gone without sleep. I have, gone, I have known hunger. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. That's my light and momentary troubles. Kind of makes you feel pretty good about what you're going through right now, doesn't it? What gave him that perspective? He kept his eyes focused. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. I look over the long haul. I keep my eyes focused beyond this life. And though I cannot see it physically with my eyes, I see it in faith. And that's why I keep moving forward. I keep moving forward. Because life is kind of like the tides that ebb and flow. 
And sometimes the tide goes out. And I don't know if you've ever been to the Berkeley mud flats or even just out here on the river when the tide goes out. It stinks. <laughs> it does. But the tide always comes back in. And you might be at a low tide right now in your life. And it stinks. The tide always comes back in. And you got to hang in there. you got to hang in faith in the God who has loved you and cared for you and sent his son to die for you. To understand that the tide will come back in. And I have seen it over and over and over again over the last 20 years of ministry in this church. That the tide goes out. The tide always comes back in. And God just gave me, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, just a reminder of all this. Um, Way, way back at the beginnings of the life of our church. Um, We were probably maybe two or three years old. And um, my kids were younger, and they were involved in soccer. And I got involved coaching soccer. And I actually ended up on the the youth soccer um, uh, board here in town. And um, at the end of the soccer year, um, they had kind of a party for all the people that had worked and served on the board that year. And it was held at a house. And and one of the people who had been on the soccer board with me that whole year um, was at the party. And it was he and his wife. And, and he came to me and he said, so I hear you're a pastor. And I said, well, yeah. He says, well, what, past, what church do you pastor? I said, well, we're just getting started. You know, we're meeting in the old post office building downtown. He says, so, well, tell me about this church that you pastor. And I said, well, we started the church. We started the church to help unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. We, we, we started specifically for people who had given up on church or never had church or had been burned by church, for unchurched people. And he said, well, I qualify for that. And, and sure enough, a couple of weeks later, he showed up with his wife and kids. And he had had some church background, I found out later. But they gave their lives to Christ, and they grew in the church. And then about 10 years ago or so, because of job situation and everything, moved away. And I completely lost touch, completely lost touch for the last 10 years. And a couple of weeks ago, our, our church staff um, got the opportunity to attend a leadership conference up at Bayside Covenant Church in Sacramento. And um, here I am, we're standing in line, in, in the registration line, picking up our materials and everything. And I look, and here in the line, just in front of me, is Chris. And I said, Chris. And he turned around, looked at me, and went, Ken. And we spent some time before the session started, just catching up on what's going on and everything. Come to find out, he's like an, a board member in his church now, up in Sacramento. And they're involved in a building project. I said, well, I know what that sounds like. Um, and we just caught up and everything. And so um, it was a two-day conference. So the next day, he, he, he texted me that, that night and said, tomorrow I'd like to take you and your staff to lunch. So, sure, sounds great. So um, we all went out to lunch, took us out to lunch. And it was all of these pastors, um, Chris and, and his business partner. And, and so we're sitting there, and the food comes, and Chris says, well, why don't we pray? And Chris leads us in prayer, thanking God for his provision for this food. All these pastors at the table, and Chris leads us in prayer. And he finishes, we all say amen, and I turn to him, I looked at him, I said, Chris, because he was sitting on my right, I said, Chris, if you had told me 15 years ago that I would be sitting in a restaurant and you would be leading us in prayer, I would have said you were crazy. And he looked at me, and he said, Ken... If you had told me that 15 years ago, I would have said the same thing. And it was just like, boom. That's what faithfulness is all about. And every once in a while, God gives you that, that peek behind the curtain to see where he's been working all along. 
Because as a pastor, sometimes you only have people for a few years and they kind of come and they move away and you lose track and you never know whatever happened. And it was just like God was saying, see, I'm faithful. You be faithful too. And I just want to give you that message this morning. Do not, do not give up. Never give up. Never, 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 never give up. Because the tide always comes back in. Because God is faithful. Because he will carry you no matter how difficult these circumstances you might be facing today are. His mercies are new every morning. And he is faithful in his love. So don't you give up. Bow your heads with me as we close in prayer. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.